We started this new series called ATM, and um, he, he got us off to a great start last week. He started our A, which is attitude. How we, how we think about money is important. I want to start off by saying this. We are not a church that's going to beg you to give every week. We are not going to pass the plates in front of you to make you feel guilty. Um, I'm not going to hopefully ever get up and try to uh, guilt you. I'm not going to try to coerce you. Uh, your money is your money. But how we think about our money is important. And as Christ followers, I think it's really important for us to think about money the same way that Jesus did. And so, um, last week, uh, Jesus, no, not Jesus, David. Uh, David got us off to a great start by talking about our attitude toward money. And if you remember, uh, one of his key points was, our money's not ours, it's God's. God gave us the money. Uh, God has given us everything we have, our, our breath, our talents, our families, our time, our energy, uh, and it's up, us, up to us to be good managers of it. And so this morning, we're going to continue to talk about money, uh, and we're going to do... Um, we're going to do the T this morning, and the T stands for treasure. Um, attitude, treasure, and next week we're going to talk about mission. For a long time, the church has gotten a bad rap. Maybe you've heard of preachers who they're found out that they've stolen thousands of dollars for, for, uh, from the church, a mismanagement of your funds. A long time, for a long time, the church has gotten a bad rap that we're, only, we're all about money. Sometimes I'll talk to someone who doesn't go to church, and I try to tell them, dude, we're the perfect church for you. If you don't go to church, we're the perfect church for you. Um, but all the time, we hear, man, churches are just about money. They just want our money. Um, you know, I, I got to try to think a little bit about why is it such a touchy subject to talk about money? Let me ask you this question. What do you have control over in your life? Is it your vehicle? Maybe, but on your way home, a belt's going to break, and you don't have that much control. Um, I hope your belt doesn't break, and if it does, I didn't do anything to it, all right? Um, or on your way home, uh, or, or is it your, uh, your, your job? You're going to walk in tomorrow and get a promotion. You didn't have any control over that, or the opposite. Um, is it your kids? <laughs> nope. <laughs> now, we don't have control over those. We don't have control over our spouse. We don't have control over um, much of anything. You do have control over your money, though. And so I, I really think that a part of us talking, a part of us being offended, uh, don't tell me what to do with my money, is because of all the things in our life, it is the one thing that we have control over except for your taxes. You don't have control over that. Um, so why, does, why do we talk about money? Why are we going to talk about money today? Well, Jesus talked about money, check this out, more than he did heaven and hell combined. We talk a lot about heaven. We talk about hell. But Jesus talked about money more than both of those things combined. In the, in the Gospel of Luke, there are four Gospels in the Bible that tell the story of Jesus from birth to resurrection. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in Luke, one out of every seven verses is about money. Money matters to God. 
And how we think and how we deal with our money matters to God. Because what it shows God is, God, I'll give you, I'll give you control over my career. And I'll pray about it every day. God, I'll give you control over my marriage. Whatever you would like us to do, God, we're going to do it. God, give me strength to be a better parent. God, give me, uh, help me to stop being sick. Like, we'll go to God for all of these things. But really, God wants us to give him control, check this out, over every part of our life, not just some of them. And the one part that we have 100% control of, don't you think God wants to have 100% control over that? I think so. And so before you start cringing, because this might be your first Sunday at Restore and we're talking about money, um, before you start to like, oh, it's just one of those experiences, here's what we're going to do. We're going to open up the Bible. We're going to see what God has to say about money. Uh, and then we're going to pass the plates until we get $10,000. <laughs> yeah, ha, 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 I was kidding. Let me take that along. So. No, I'm just kidding, man. Look, uh, again, I do this to go a little bit overboard to tell you, we want you to love Jesus here. <clears throat> we want you to fall in love with God. And when you love God relentlessly, you will start to love people recklessly, even people you don't like right now. And when you start to love people with everything you got, guess what that includes? Your finances. So we're not after, you know, $10,000, although if that's where the Lord's leading you, I'm not going to stand in the way. What we're after is loving God and loving people. And so we want to do that in every aspect of our life, and that includes our finances. So this is not about trying to trick you or coerce you into giving, us, into giving God your money. This is about trying to fall in love with God and see how he thinks about money. So if you have your Bible, uh, we want you to open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you need a Bible, throw your hands up and we have some lovely volunteers that will bring you a Bible. There are some on the ends of your rows and so uh, maybe you could look down and, and grab a Bible. We're not, we were, but we're not one of those churches that's going to throw every verse up on the screen. So you can look in your Bible or you can look at the Restore Church app um, and under bulletin section you'll see my outline and some notes. If you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can click under the live event section and Restore Church will be there. Yell amen when you get to 2 Corinthians. Amen. All right, got three people there. That rocks. <clears throat> All right, or just say it quietly or don't say anything. Good job. Everyone's there. All right, so here, let's follow, uh, let's read together 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to look at uh, some, of verse, some of chapter 8 and some of chapter 9. I'm not skipping verses just because it doesn't fit what I'm trying to say to you. I'm just, we're going to skip some verses just for the sake of time. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to read verses 1 through 7 together. Here we go. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Do you, you read that part? In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded for us for the privilege of sharing in the service of the Lord's, to the Lord's people. 
and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus as uh, we urged Titus, as he had earlier made a, a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. And that last verse David used last week. So the New Testament is made up of four books that talk about the story of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And there's one killer book, the book of Acts, tells the history of the beginning of the church. Basically, the rest of the New Testament is letters. Thirteen of those letters are from Paul to either other churches or other people. And his goal in life is to make disciples and start churches. I love this dude. That's what he loves to do, is to make disciples and start churches. Well, he had a hand in starting this church at Corinth, and that's why it's called the letter, that's why it's called Second Corinthians letter there. And Paul and, and his, his crew, they're traveling from church to church, and they're starting to take up a collection, an offering, for a poor church in Jerusalem. And in the midst of this letter to, in Second Corinthians, he finds it necessary to urge the Corinthian church to contribute. All right, we're traveling. We're going to we're collect an offering. We're coming to you soon, so get ready to collect. Um, in this section, Paul uses this like crazy example of giving. Here's what he doesn't do. He doesn't, he doesn't talk about the multimillionaire who owns his own company that gave $2,000. Hey, that's significant. If that's how the Lord's leading you, that's significant to answer what God's asking you to do. He doesn't, he doesn't go to the family that has plenty and decides, all right, we'll give a couple dollars at the end of the month to the church. Hey, if that's where God's leading you, we're not going to stay in the way of that. That's a good thing. But who does Paul use as the example? He uses a ma the Macedonian church. It makes sense when you think about it. See, the Corinthian church is wealthy. They got money. I mean, they are the retirement community. They have the gates. They have, you know, I mean, like, these guys are the ones that you're like, man, one day I would like to, li I would like to live in Corinth. You would have never said that about Macedonia. Macedonia is where you would avoid. The Corinthian church and the Macedonian church were complete opposites in, uh, in class, in money, in how you would view or how you would visit and what you would do and in culture. And so as Paul writes to this very wealthy church, he brings up Macedonia. <laughs> why? Look, look at why though. It's not out of guilt. I don't think God ever wants you to give money out of guilt. Out of compassion, yes. So I want to say this, feeling bad and guilt are not the same thing. So maybe you'll go to a concert, and a Christian concert, and the band kills it, and then some guy comes out and he says, hey, tonight's goal really is to get you to sponsor a child in a third world country and to write letters back and forth and help them you know, with so many meals. You would feel bad. And you would give to that, okay? 
That's good. I don't think God ever wants you to write a check out of guilt because someone has coerced you. You see what I'm saying? And so Paul's not trying to make the Macedonian church feel bad. But instead, he's trying to give them a good example of, look again at verse 5. Look what he says about the Macedonian church in verse 5. And they exceeded our expectations. Here it is. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, then to us. Today we're going to learn four things about from the Macedonian, or from uh, Paul's letter here. And the first thing is, they gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then to us. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the needs of your life will be given to you. It doesn't say seek, seek first to pay your bills, although that's good. It is good to pay your bills. Don't not pay your bills and then tell the debt collector that the pastor said uh, not to. Um, it's good to pay your bills, right? It, it's, it's good to take care of your family. But what Matthew chapter 6 is Jesus saying, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and all your needs will be taken care of by God. Man, that's trust. That's surrender. It's to say, I'm going to give myself first of all to the Lord and then to people. Imagine that. Love God, love people. Where would, where would anybody come up with that? The, the Bible is your answer. So if you were wondering. But see, giving to God is more than just taking money out of your wallet or preparing a check when you walk in. It's more than just something to make us feel good about ourselves or about our budget. It's more than just a tax write-off at the end of the year. It's more than just checking a box so the pastor will stop preaching about it. Giving to God is giving up yourself. It's giving up your control. It's giving up who you are and what you want for the sake of his glory and for the other people. Man, one day I want to do this. Today's not the day, but one day I want to have just everyone. I'm going to say this one day. So get ready if you're this person. Don't stop coming if you're introverted, though. One day I'm going to say, man, if you've given your life to Jesus at Restore Church, or if you've been blessed by Restore Church, or if you've given your life to Jesus at Restore, or you've dedicated your life at Restore, stand up. Don't do it because... I don't want to do that right now because I just feel sick. That's got nothing to do with you, though. I don't know. Anyway. And I, you will be like, God has done so much here. This is not part of sermon. Kendra was talking about this at, at our, uh, our preview. Or, uh, we do like a backstage service. So if you come to set up uh, at the school or in the next couple weeks here, we do like a backstage service, and we pray for all the seats that you're sitting in and And Kendra was just talking. So this Sunday is the anniversary two years ago of our very first preview Sunday. And uh, sometimes I'm guilty of putting God in a box. You know what I'm saying? Like, I like to know what God's going to do. And so I say, all right, God, you can do these things, but don't do anything outside of that. Cool. Stay here. We do a preview service at the Jacksonville Conference Center. We set up 200 chairs and there were 20 people there. Uh, that is intimidating to preach to 20 people who are sitting all scattered apart of 200 chairs. Was anybody there? 
hey, look, half of the people <laughs> were there. And uh, we started worship, and here was my plan. God, here's the box. Here's my plan. We're going to lock the doors. We're not going to let anybody in because it's going to be a train wreck, right? We're going to have technical issues. It's really just to practice. We actually call them practice services, uh, but it's just to practice. And then uh, we forgot to lock the door. I'm glad we did. A girl comes in, she sits in the very back row, and she cried from beginning to end. I never met her before. Uh, a girl that was on our launch team knew her from school, and they had just recently connected, and she cried from beginning to end. I mean, sometimes, like, I'll start to preach, and, and someone's moved by, by the songs, and, and they're, like, finishing up, you know, crying. That's fine. Crying is healthy. Dudes, you should cry more than what you do. Um, and so uh, she cried from beginning to end. And God's like destroying this box because the doors would have been locked otherwise. And after service, it just kind of walked over and, can I help you? <laughs> like, I mean, this is our first thing, and I'm trying to figure out how to do this. This didn't happen at the church I was at before, okay? So I just sat down and just, just started talking. And she asked this question. She said, can I just jump both feet in? And I was like, am I being punked? Like, this is a church, this is a pastor's dream, and God, if this is what you're going to do here, dude, I'm, I, I can't wait to see the next couple years. Her next question was this, can I just go all in? Can I just go all in? And I, I, will, I will hopefully never forget that. Maybe, maybe the Lord will help me remember that. And it reminded me of a story uh, that I heard uh, a long time ago about a girl in the Congo or about a church in the Congo, where they would pass the plates for offering. And poor people who had nothing to give, no money to give, would stick their hands in the offering. Um, if you do this on your way out, we're, we're going to track you down, so don't do this. But um, no, They would stick their hands in the offering as a symbol that I don't have any money to give, but God, I'm going to give you myself. And once, a, once you decide to follow Jesus, that's it. You give, him, you give him all of it. Not all your money, but, you know, you got to pay bills. But you give him every part of your life, and that's what it symbolizes. So why do we ask you to give each week? You know, we got white boxes over here, and as you go out, you can stick those in. You can give online. You can give on the Restore Church app. Why do we ask you to do that? Church planting is the most effective form of reaching lost people in the United States right now. Uh, that's starting new churches. I, I don't, oh, that was good. Good catch. Um, I'm going to, someone asked me this week, um, when are you going to leave? Asked me this. And I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I can pack my bag and go. Uh, they, they just said, when are you going to go plant your next church? And so I, I, I don't know if this settles you or if you're excited. You, hopefully one day I'll leave. I don't know. But um, look, me and my family, we're not going anywhere. We, Jacksonville's our home. We are the four people in the world who chose to live in Jacksonville. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, look, we're, we're not going anywhere because uh, we're sold out to the city. We're sold out to our county and our community. Uh, we, we want you to also be. But we're also sold out to church planting. When you give to Restore Church, uh, man, I gotta, we got to fly the last part of this. This is the problem when you're preaching and you're sick. And Josh had a sermon that might have been much shorter. Um, 
we, we try to give 10% of our church offering. We ask you to start at 10% and maybe God will increase so that you can give more, but we give away 10% just like we ask you to. Our first year of, of, of our uh, existence, we gave away 30% of our church offering to missions. That's local benevolence. Here's how we break down our 10%. We give 6% to church planting. 5% goes to the church planters of Eastern North Carolina. They helped us get started. They're ready to launch another church. They're just praying that God will send them a church planter. Maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe God wants you to plant a church. I'd love to help you. Love to talk to you. And if you come out of Restore, we will partner with you with money and resources. We'll, send, we'll ask people to pray about moving with you to plant a church. So maybe God's leading you to do that. We give 1% to Waypoint there. They helped us launch our church. Uh, they plant churches in D.C., Maryland, Virginia, North Carolina. They merged with another organization a long time ago to start planting churches in North Carolina. We were their first one to plant. Um, the other 2%, so that's 6%. The other 2% we split between local benevolence here. So we want to be a church that says yes. And so when people call and say, hey, can you help me with my light bill? We don't want to say no immediately. We want to say yes. We want to be a church that helps. And so we, every month, 2% of what you gave last month comes available on the first. And when it's gone, it's gone. And the next month, it starts again. But you're giving to a church that helps uh, your community. The other 2% we try to give to foreign missionaries to help increase uh, the gospel along the rest of the world. I want to tell you that just so that you know how your money is being spent uh, and that we, like you, are giving 10% and we, like you, are trying to increase the gospel. Hey, let's see what, let's see what the rest of what Paul has to say. Look at verses, uh, chapter 8, verse 8 through 12. Uh, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means." For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what has, uh, according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Here's our second thing that we're going to learn this morning. It's not about what you don't have. It's about what you do have. You might have multiple kids. You have two kids. We've got a six-year-old and a four-year-old. And right now it's all about, is my cookie bigger than her cookie? Right, or, or I've got, I got two toys, she has three toys, or she had more sugar than I did today, or whatever it is. So last night, I had them both come to the chair, knowing I was going to preach this sermon. And I said, hey, guys, you want to be, I, I'm just going to teach this uh, right now, and hopefully I'll continue to write, remind them. Hopefully one day they'll remind me. Y'all, stop counting what other people have. It will make you so much happier in life. Stop counting what... I told Bowen, stop counting what your sister has. Just focus on what you have. Who cares what she has? Stop focusing on what you don't have, Restore. Stop focusing on the things you wish you had and look at what God has put in front of you and be thankful for it. There's a story of a little crippled girl with a crutch who came to church and she saw everything, everybody put money in an offering bag, but she had no money. 
But what she did, she gave God so much more. She walked up to the offering bag and laid her crutch there. See, we as a, we as a people, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, we want more. Enough is not in our vocabulary, right? Like, we just want more. We just want more. We just want more. 72% of all people who took this poll said that if I just made a little bit more, I would give to the church. Is that you? Like, it, right now it's just a little bit tight. And if I got a little bit more, then I would give that to the church. Or I'd start giving to uh, whatever place in the community you want to give to. If I had just a little bit more, but I'm just going to go ahead and say this. Honestly, if you're not giving now, you're not going to give when you get more. Because once you get that raise, you're just going to get a, you know, something new, a new truck, a cable bill. You're going to go out to eat a little bit more. Unless, like David did last week, you start putting money in eternity first. I'm going to read this story to you. I thought this was really cool. Leadership Magazine carries a story about four young men. They were Bible college students uh, who were renting a house together. One Saturday morning, someone knocked on their door, and when they opened it, uh, there stood this, like, old man. Glazed-looking eyes. Uh, his beard was kind of ragged. His clothes had holes in them. Uh, his shoes, they didn't match. Matter of fact, both shoes were for the same foot. He carried this whisker basket full of vegetables that really were not that great looking, but he was trying to sell them to make a little bit more money. And the boys felt sorry for him. And so they bought some of his, uh, some of his vegetables just to help him out. Then he went on his way. But from that time on, every Saturday, he appeared at their door with a basket of vegetables. And as the boys got to know him a little better, they began to invite him in to visit uh, before he would continue on to his next house. They soon discovered that his eyes looked marbleized, not because of drugs or alcohol, but because he had cataracts. They learned that he lived just down the street in an old shack. They also found out that he could play the harmonica, and he loved to play Christian hymns, and he was really good. So every Saturday, they would invite him in. They would play, he would play his harmonica. They would sing Christian hymns and play their guitars along with him. Because every Bible college student plays guitar. I've been there, I know. <clears throat> and not well, might I add. I was one of them. <clears throat> the boys became really good friends with this man, and they began trying to find out ways to help him. So they finally collected a bunch of clothes, and they secretly left it on his doorstep. No note attached. They really didn't want the, the praise for it. The following Saturday morning... Right in the middle of all their singing and praising, he suddenly said to them, God is so good. And they all agreed, yes, God is so good. He went on, you want to know why God is so good? And they asked him why. He said, yesterday, uh, because yesterday I, when I got up, I opened my door and there were boxes full of clothes and shoes and coats and gloves. Yes, God is so good. And the boys smiled at each other and they chimed in. Yes, God is so good. He went on. You want to know why God is so good? And they answered him, you already told us why. But what more? Why is God so good? He said, because I found a family who could use all those things, and I gave them all away. See, it's not about what you don't have, but it is about what you do have. 
Paul's going to continue in just a second, but the third thing we're going to learn from these verses we're going to read is we have to trust that God will take care of us. You have to trust that God has best intentions for you and that God will take care of you. Look, uh, chapter 9. Skip over to chapter 9, verses 6 through 11. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give to what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I want to read this one more time. Um, I want to read verse 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Here's what we're going to ask you to do. Go home and pray about what God wants you to give. Talk with your spouse about what God wants you to give. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you determine what he wants you to give Because Paul's next verse, says, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. For as it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge your, the harvest of your righteousness. Okay, I want to slow down on that one because um, this is the point I want to make here. Now he who supplies seed to the sower or the planter or the gardener um, and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Um, Philippians chapter 4, verse 19 says, uh, And my God will supply all of your needs. Giving... Our, of our finances shows God that we're surrendering to him. But even more than that, it shows trust in God. I'm going to say that again. Giving shows surrender to God, but even more than that, it shows trust that God will take care of us. And whatever, in uh, what other avenue of your life can you imagine showing God more that you trust him than in your finances? I feel like some of us are like, God, I want you to take care of me. God, I want you to provide. I mean, how, when the bills come in and, and you're starting to talk about, man, it's going to be tight at the end of this month, instead of getting your calculator out, how many times do we ask God, God, will you take care of us? God, God help us. And I feel like sometimes God's like, yeah, I want to, but I need to know you trust me. Give me the chance. Just give me the chance one time. Um, because we're going kind of fast, I just want to hit this part for you. Uh, in Malachi, the end of Malachi chapter 3, it's, old, it's the last book of the Old Testament. It's a prophet that God is speaking through, and he's trying to teach the religious leaders something. And God says to them, would you rob God? And they're like, how would we rob God? And he says, Malachi, I want you to tell these leaders this with your tithes and your offerings. 
But he says, bring your offering into the storehouse. This is Malachi chapter three. You can look it up later. Uh, bring your offerings into the storehouse. He said, and this is the part. And I will open the floodgates of heaven. All right, this is, this is what's interesting. God's saying, hey, just trust me and I will bless you. Now, this is not some prosperity thing. If you give 10, if you give, I'm not telling you that if you give $10 today, that when you leave here, uh, there'll be a million dollars in your bank account. If you want to believe that, the internet is all over. You got it. <laughs> um, but that's just not what the Bible says. And I wish I could say that, right? I wish I could tell you that, but I can't. But what I can tell you is that God will bless you. It may be financially, it might not be. It might be in your relationships, it might be in your faith, it might be in your marriage, it might be in your parenting. But God tells the priest, stop robbing me, bring, the bring your offering into the storehouse and I will open the floodgates of heaven. You know, the only other place in the Old Testament where the word floodgate is used, it's in Genesis chapter six. It says the floodgates of heaven opened and flooded the earth. That's what God's trying to say. God says this, you can't outgive me. Try it. Um, <clears throat> Malachi chapter three is the only place he says, test me. He says, test me in this. Bring your stuff to the storehouse and I will open the floodgates of heaven. Um, and every, every Jewish person that heard that was like, oh, like the Noah's Ark flood. All right. I don't know that they called it that, but... Um, <clears throat> Imagine this, you come over to my house for dinner. Uh, we invite you over for dinner. Love to have you, for real, we'd love to have you, most of you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, I didn't mean to look at anybody when I said that. <laughs> um, we would love to have you for dinner, meet you somewhere, I, I don't know, but you guys are like, oh, I don't wanna go to your house. Okay, cool. Um, anyway, uh, imagine I invite you over to my house for dinner. You'll say, can I bring anything? We'll say, no, we got it, which means my wife is cooking. And then you get there, and you're, man, you look so looking forward to it. And then when you get there, we're like, hey, we got choices. You can have chili. You can have chicken noodle soup. You can have meatloaf from last Thursday. Uh, we got some lunch meat sandwiches um, and some mac and cheese in the, in the closet. Nope, never mind. It's in the fridge. We made it last night. What are you going to think? I know what you're thinking. You're like, all right, Taco Bell's right down the road. <laughs> Cookout is just a little bit past it. I would never invite you to my house for dinner and give you my leftovers. But that's what we do with God. You say, God, I'm going to love you, man. I'm, I'm going to give you everything I got except for my money. Then I'll give you at the end of the month if it's there. Look, in verse 10 and 11, look at your Bible real quick. Who supplies the seed? It's not you. It's God. Who supplies the bread? It's God. It's God. God's the one who supplies all of our needs according to his glory. Rich. All right, last thing here. Verse, uh, the last thing we're going to learn about giving is that it's not about you. You, you will hear this. The longer you stick around Restore Church, you will hear this over and over and over. It is all about Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about Josh. 
It's not about the worship band. I mean, we, we, it's not about one person here. It's not about Kendra. It's not about you. And, and you're really awesome. <laughs> Every store, it's, it's all about Jesus. And so um, I just want to read these last couple verses, and then um, we'll finish up. Um, it's in chapter 9, verses 12 through 15. This service that you perform, it's not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift of Jesus. Um, <clears throat> when we felt like God was calling us to plant a church, um, we lived in Lisbon City, North Carolina. Um, there were a ton of questions. Uh, we didn't know any of you. We didn't know most of you two years ago when we had our first preview service, except like the three people, four people raised their hands. Um, one phrase my dad will always say is, if it's God's will, it's God's bill. I'm like, dad, you should have been a hip hop artist, man. <laughs> um, The one thing I knew about starting a new church <clears throat> is that I would have to do exactly what Paul was doing with this Corinthian church. Is that I would have to go from church to church to church, tell them about a church that doesn't exist, about people that I don't know, and try to tell them, hey, would you, would you give us some money? Would you help us get started? Like give us, uh, and if you're starting a business, usually it's called seed money, right? Like to, to get started, would you, would you help us? And um, man, I, every time I'd sit in a living room with, with a couple and they'd say, hey, we'll give you, we'll give you $30 a month. Dude, that's, it's like, wow. I sat in the living room with someone who's like, we're gonna give you $300 a month. I was like, whoa, really? <clears throat> If you are one of those people who have given your life to Jesus, it's because of faithful people like that. If you're one of those people who are here just to worship this morning, it's because of faithful people who love God and love, who love, God and love people even with their funding that they don't know. There will be some of you who are not going to heaven before Restore Church started who have given your life to Jesus and said, I'm all in. You may be standing next to my mamma who you'll never meet, but she helped fund this church. Here's what happens when you give to restore. We preach the gospel of Jesus, man. We tell people about love and mercy and grace and hope. We can tell someone who's struggling with addiction, like, dude, it's a long road, but at the end of it, Jesus will still love you the whole way through it. And there is an end. You can't find that out there. I can sit in the living room with a couple who 
really hate each other for the moment <laughs> and say, look, let me show you how Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for the church. He died for the church. He sacrificed for the church. Husband, love your wife that way. And now they're sitting here in this room. Like when you give money to restore, we got to take some kids that heard about God's grace and that loves them and that God doesn't care what the world says about them or what they look like, right? When you give to restore church, man, we're able to reach people for Jesus. And there will be people in heaven that you'll never meet, but because you invest in church planting and international missions, they might be standing right next to you when we're singing praises to Jesus forever. Um, I want to tell this last story, uh, and, and I'll be finished. Um, I grew up, my, my grandfather was a preacher. Most of you already knew that. Um, and uh, in their church, they had this tradition uh, that when it was your birthday, they would sing happy birthday to you at church. And all of the introverts in here just like crawled into your chair a little bit more, especially if it's your birthday. Anybody's birthday? <laughs> um, so uh, my grandmother and my grandfather, they also recorded every waking moment of my life up until I was about five. And I was probably like at least the third cutest kid in the world. Um, my son and my daughter are first, number one and two. Anyway, um, they have this video. You would, this is what they do. It's your birthday. They knew it was your birthday. They'd sing happy birthday. As you walked around, I'm not making this up. You would walk around the perimeter of where everyone was seated. Then you would come around the back and walk up the middle. And on your birthday, you would give an offering. Yeah, what a, what a celebration. Okay, so we're going to start doing that next week. So we're going to send a card around for everyone to write your birthdays down. No, no, no. They would play on the piano and the organ would tune in. It was this big thing and everyone's singing happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday, dear Eric. That's what they called me then. Happy birthday to you. And I don't know, maybe I liked the attention. <laughs> Who would have thought? And, um, and I was just taking my time, kind of enjoying it. And did you grow up in a church where you had to wear uncomfortable clothes that were too tight? Um, I got up to the thing, and it was just a quarter. That's all I had was a quarter in my pocket. But my pants, y'all, were so tight. They were these Easter blue pants, or, uh, you know, Easter egg robin blue pants. And they were so tight, I couldn't get the quarter out of my pocket. I couldn't get my hand in my pocket to get the quarter. <laughs> Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, Eric, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. It went on and on, and I'm up there fighting this, this quarter out of my pocket, and finally was able to put it in the plate. Hey, we, I don't think God wants you to fight this money out of your pocket. I really don't think it even brings God joy if you put money in the plate or put money in a box or online begrudgingly or like, ah, I guess I'll do it. I think God wants you to go home, pray about it and say, God, I, I love you and, and this hurts, but I'm going to trust you. 
So here's the first time I'm ever going to give you money. And I want you to record it and watch what happens and watch as God blesses you. Um, let's pray. Let's pray. Hey, God, we love you. And uh, we thank you for uh, your grace and your mercy. God, we thank you for what you've given to us. God, the, the little bit of money that you have given to us. God, let us recognize it that way, that it's all from you. It's not from us. It's, it's not ours. But God, that we are managers of it. And so, Lord, uh, as we try to love you with everything we've got, um, help us to do it in our finances as well. Uh, God, we're going to do this so that you can show off, so that you, so when we look back, God, we, we can tell the story of how our funds were tight, but we still gave to, to you, and you blessed us anyway. God, tell, we want to tell a story about the time we tested you and you filled our storehouses. God, we, we want to tell a story about how you impacted someone's life just with a couple dollars. So, God, we, we're just so grateful uh, for all that you do for us and all that you will continue to do. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, at Restore Church, at the end of each service, we like to spend a couple minutes just responding to who God is. Um, and so what we're going to ask you to do in, in a couple seconds is uh, we're going to do this in a number of ways. The first way is the band's going to play another song, and we're going to worship with them. And so I'll give you a couple minutes. Um, if you see a couple people moving around, th those are members of our prayer team, and they would like to pray with you, and they'd like to pray for you. So we'll have a couple standing, we'll have a couple members of our prayer team down here and down here. So when you get up for communion in a, in a moment, if you want to pray with them, they'll, they'll be down here and uh, you can pray with them. So we're going to ask you to worship and, and to pray. Um, we're going to ask you to give. Uh, again, this is not, we do it at the same time every week because we believe it's an act of worship. It's between you and God. And so if you feel like God's sucking your heart to give, uh, go for it. But what we're encouraging you to do is go home and pray about it because uh, God loves a cheerful giver. Um, we're going to ask you to uh, to take communion. Now, communion to us is really special. Um, I believe this to be true, that God so loved the whole world that he gave. And not just a little bit, but he gave it all. He gave his one and only son so that if whoever believes in him, that includes you, and the baggage that you brought in here, and the past that you're trying to run away from, and the sins you hope no one remembers or, or, or finds out about. That includes you who's just trying to forget last night. Jesus died for you because God gave him so that whoever would believe in him would live forever. Uh, this afternoon at 2 o'clock, Connor, remember Connor, he came forward two weeks ago, eight-year-old boy, he's given his life to Jesus. At 2, uh, 2 o'clock today at the Red Roof Inn, his mom is going to baptize him. Why not you? What's holding you back from giving your life to Jesus? Is it knowing all the answers? Because let me tell you from experience, 
we'll never know all the answers. Um, is it your past? Because that's kind of the point. Is it your doubts? Look, we'll always have them. But the Bible talks about having a childlike faith. And we're going to experience that at 2 o'clock at the Red Roof Inn. Um, if you want to do that, if you want to give your life to Jesus through baptism, I'd love to talk with you. Uh, I'm going to sit up on this platform uh, right there. And if that's you, uh, I'd love to meet you halfway. And we can talk about that. Or if you just want to come support Connor at 2, that'd be great too. Um, and so the last thing is to decide, make a decision for Jesus. So during this time, we're going to respond to who God is. We're going to, we're going to, have, uh, we're going to worship. We're going to pray. We're going to give. We're going to make a decision for Jesus. And we're going to worship. Hey, if uh, this whole idea of communion makes you uncomfortable and you don't want to participate, that, that's okay. Uh, you can stay right where you are. If you've never given your life to, to Jesus and you just want to think about that in your seat, uh, of what that would look like, uh, that, that's okay for you to stay there too and, and just to think. But if you want to take that cracker and, re and remember the, the body of Jesus that's broken and, and beaten and bruised and embarrassed for you, um, and, and if you want to remember the, the, the cup that represents Jesus' blood that was poured out for you, man, we, we want to encourage you to participate. So uh, if you've done this with us at Restore Church, would you lead the way so our guests will know how this goes?